Some topics in this podcast series deal with sensitive subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners. The National Principles for Child Safe Organisations reflects 10 child safe standards recommended by the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. These principles aim to provide Australia with a nationally consistent approach to creating organisational cultures that foster child safety and well-being. They have a broader scope that goes beyond child sexual abuse to cover other forms of potential harm to children and young people. This podcast series, brought to you by ComplySpace and Brave Hearts, unpacks each of the 10 principles, their implications and ways to apply them. In this episode, we explore Principle 7. Staff and volunteers are equipped with the knowledge, skills and awareness to keep children and young people safe through ongoing education and training. Hi everyone, I'm Deborah Dafina. I'm the Principal Consultant in Child Protection at ComplySpace. And I'm Matt Sinclair, the National Child Protection Training Manager at Bravehearts. You're listening to our series of podcasts about the national principles for child safe organisations. Today we're going to be talking about National Principle 7, which is about ongoing education and training. Um, We don't have a guest today because Matt here is the expert. (laughs) Um, So Matt, um, National Principle 7 is about ongoing education and training. Um, Why is ongoing education and training important after induction? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question, and I think it, it is linked back to, I guess, the culture of an organisation. So a culture is informed by really the knowledge base of those people that work within the organisation, and in order to make sure our knowledge is fresh, we need to continually refresh that. So ongoing child protection training for staff members, volunteers, board members, any adult that it has an involvement with the organisation, but as well as the children and the young people. So if we're thinking about a school, it's also important to see that that ongoing learning is embedded into the curriculum. Mm. Keeping that knowledge base uh, strong is also about reflecting regular changes to legislation and other regulatory framework changes that many organisations would experience from time to time throughout the years. So keeping that knowledge fresh is really important to keep across those changes. And that's right. At the moment, there's a, a raft of changes happening as a result of the Royal Commission. So every you know week, it seems, there's some new change to legislation, some new obligation that staff have. Yes, yeah. And it's just really important to break that down because those things can um, seem like a burden or the unknown can be daunting and people can be fearful about doing the wrong thing. So finding ways to introduce those changes in a non-confronting way is also um, key to an effective learning program. Mm. So you you said there um, one of the aspects that's key to an effective learning program. Um, What are the other critical aspects of a child-safe learning program for staff, volunteers and even contractors and students? And students, yeah. I think um, for me it comes back to adult learning principles and something that I learnt very early in the piece when I started working in a uh, learning and development environment is the learning needs to be directly uh, related to some person's, to each person's role. So how does, for example, a classroom-based teacher, what do they need to understand about the impacts of trauma and what indicators might look like? 
compared to perhaps somebody that works as a contractor um, in the maintenance team versus mm. a psychologist on the on the campus. Um, each of those people would have a very different learning need. We think about the head of an agency and we think about uh, many states as New South Wales and Victoria and ACT have reportable conduct schemes. Mm. Um, the head of that agency needs to understand their roles and their obligation under that scheme. So that requires a different uh, level of training for them also. Yeah, that's right. So segmenting those learning needs according to their role is really important to get that cut through. I think it's um, gone other days of knowing what to do once uh, a traumatic experience has occurred. It's about how can we prevent that? And prevention looks different depending on what your role is in the organisation. Hmm. Um, so what are some of the best practice approaches for organisations to implement a child safety learning and development plan, say, for their staff? Yeah, and I think that comes down to how can you first understanding, I guess, the risk exposures for that school and the, the many schools that we work with in, in our current roles and functions for Bravehearts and the services that we offer, offer very different services to, to their students. Some have regular camps, some have multiple campuses, some are a K to 12. It's understanding how those different services have different risk profiles. Mm -hmm. And then looking at those risk profiles and linking them to the different learning needs of the different cohorts. If you think about a school that offers boarding, yeah. the staff that work in that boarding environment have a very particular learning need about understanding how children and young people in a residential facility like a boarding house, uh, how those risks are different. Mm. And it is very different to saying, see you later at 3, 3.30 of an afternoon and those 18 hours of the in-between time is um, there's a lot there that can be unseen and it's about learning to identify those risks earlier. You can understand how perhaps the administration team or some schools have a particular person that takes the absentee phone calls from parents right. and through that channel you can identify loads of different indicators that are coming through from the family environment so if that person on the phone line is attuned to what they may look like, they can help put the varying pieces of the puzzle together for a school to readily identify child protection-related risks earlier. Right. So talking there about staff, what about the staff in the admin office, the ones who mm. might have very limited contact with children? Yeah, everybody at an organisation like a school has an obligation to understand how to keep the children safe. Um for simple reasons as you don't teleport to your office, <laughs> you walk through the school grounds, you would have some sort of interaction with the students on some occasion, whether it's they are coming to an office to see one of the staff and you are an administrative officer supporting those staff, whether you work in payroll, whether you work in HR, you, um, you would have an interaction with the students. But it's also about, for example, HR working with the staff and understanding what a robust human resources or performance management framework looks like, which we'll talk about in, in other uh, episodes of the series, what that looks like from a child protection point of view and how things like recruitment can be done mm -hmm. from a child safe point of view. So everybody in their role and function in a school, for example, um, children have 
you, you interact with children regardless, whether it's directly or indirectly. It's yeah. funny. One of the um, I was at a training recently, and they were talking about the um, what, what's happening in Ireland as a result of their inquiry. Yeah, right. Um, and apparently, they're you know several years ahead of us in in, in running these sorts of things. Mm. Um, they are now looking at um, specific programs to train gardeners and maintenance people exactly in yeah. at, at institutions. Yeah, I think you'd be. Well, gardeners and maintenance people wouldn't be surprised, but others would be surprised as to what they actually overhear. Mm. Boarding schools employ cleaning staff, often by third-party contractors, mm. but uh, you'd be surprised as to what students in a boarding house would say or do in front of a seemingly invisible cleaner. Mm. That, that leads us to the next question, is, a, mm. is what about contractors? Um, does an organisation have to provide training for all of its own contractors? Yes, so it, it's about the partic- in particular states, and I think New South Wales is as one particular example around the changes to what employment like is is um, defined as, mm-hmm. and and my understanding is contractor fits into that. So an organisation is held or would be held liable for the conduct of anybody it engages in an employment like mm-hmm. function, be it a volunteer or a contractor, and that's in relation to the. Um the duty of care. The duty of care, yeah. yeah. So a school, for example, would be, I, I would say, has an obligation to to train those mm. those contractors. Or at or, the very least to, to make sure that they have undergone training as part of the contract requiring them to have done it before they come on. Exactly. So it's all about your service agreements and mm. arrangements that you have with your contractors to say these are the minimum standards. Mm. Yeah. And what about volunteers? So, so many organisations rely heavily on volunteers and schools are the same. So you have um, parent volunteers or even non-parent volunteers coming in and running tuck shops and working on barbecues and running um, school uniform shops and helping out in the admin office. Um, Isn't it too much to ask for them to undergo training too? Yeah, that's also a really good point. And, and we're having so many different conversations with different schools in particular, I think, at different stages of their journey. And it's about how do you, it's about culture. So if you think predominantly a school would have a volunteer base of its parent group or its community and its families, um, how do you engage them in the, the school's commitment to creating a child safe environment? So it's not just only about the staff and the students, but it's also about how do you engage your families. And that doesn't necessarily mean a full day workshop or a sit down and do this mandatory module. It's about finding unique ways or engaging ways to bring the parent group into the fold so they can understand what the expectations of behaviour are on the students, certainly what the expectations of behaviour are on staff, and what the school's commitment really means. So by virtue of that, if you can embed that within your education and and I guess your learning program holistically, you can capture that with your volunteers. Some schools opt to do very quick online modules or fact sheets or different information sharing initiatives that they do if they register as a volunteer and, and they put a lot of effort into sustaining a pool of volunteers it comes down also, and it's linked, obviously, with working with children's checks mm. and how do we go about that, which is obviously a, a huge administrative undertaking. And different states around Australia have different requirements for what that working with children's mm. check is and who it applies to. And who it applies to. Um, 
But if you can help volunteers understand, even if they're not parents, understand what their expectations are, what the school's expectations are on them and vice versa, what they can expect from the school. And if they were to see something, who could they report it to? Um, you're helping to prevent or certainly identify much earlier. Right. Um, getting back to that issue of contractors, one of the things that many schools ask us is what do we do about the emergency plumber or the emergency maintenance man? Um, obviously, we can't provide training to them. Um, they just might be here on a one-off thing, but they are people who may see something, who may overhear something, who who may do something. So um, how do we deal with that? Yeah, that's, that's also a really good question. And I think um, I've seen varying examples of how this can be done effectively. Um, and it, it is about uh, implementing initiatives that don't cut the throat of operations. So how can you do that? And it is about understanding what the level of risk is and what can be treated and what can be tolerated. Um, there's some examples I was on um, the campus of not a school, but a very large national organisation who was, you would consider to have quite a high level of maturity around workplace health and safety. Mm-hmm. And prior to going onto that campus, I did a very brief five-minute online, these are the requirements, these are the expectations. Mm. If there was to be an emergency evacuation, this is where you would go, Mm. um, look for these people, that kind of thing. Um, They had obviously a level of risk that needed to be managed around that. Mm. And and that's where I signed in to my little iPad, which we know many schools have. Um, So just a brief little clip there. Um, Or just having the information... um, readily accessible so you could also have it in things like posters or Mm. different signs around the school um yeah Yeah. there's lots of different ways and i don't think they need to be a formal learning module Mm. there can be different ways in which you can share that information yeah you mentioned um work health and safety there Mm. i mean i think that's what we're, we're we're aiming at here isn't it we're sort of aiming at child safety um becoming like work health and safety, just something that everybody does and it's just an accepted part of the culture of the way things are done. It is, absolutely. And and that helps, I, I guess, particularly schools. And, and any time we work with an organisation of from various sectors, we always talk to them about what recent journey have you been on or what lessons have you learned from perhaps implementing a new customer service model or uh, upscaling your workplace health and safety approaches what have you learnt from that? And typically we hear about workplace health and safety. Um, and you know, even not-for-profit organisations with very uh, constrained budgets have had to bring themselves up to speed culturally, but also through the operations of their business from a workplace health and safety point of view. Um, things like trip hazards are easily managed nowadays and there's a culture of calling that behaviour out. And you're absolutely right, and I agree with you 100%. Child protection and creating child-safe environments can follow that journey about identifying hazards and managing them. Mm. Mm. Um, so, look, I think we're near the end of our conversation today. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Is there anything else that we should have talked about that we haven't? Uh, look, I just think that, um, yeah, education and training and and learning in general is linked so closely to the culture and we talk about see something say something or speak up culture if you're unsure ask somebody 
and it's about having that baseline level of knowledge quite a high baseline across the whole organisation so people know what to look for and what to do. And then talking about building that motivation is all things that need to be considered when thinking about what learning program you put together for your organisation. Mm. Well, thanks, Matt. That's been a great conversation. Um, thank and you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, till the next time.